Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Boston Balling. I'm your host, Gabby Hurlba. I hope everyone had an exciting weekend. Um, was definitely a really interesting Super Bowl, which we obviously are going to touch on a little bit too in this episode. But I hope everyone is having a wonderful start to the week. Um, it's Tuesday, so you're almost halfway through. So if everybody just powers through the rest of the week, it should be good. Um, I have a guest with me tonight. Um, he's very, very talented, knowledgeable about sports. Evan Marinovsky. How are you doing today? I'm I'm good. How could I not be good after that flattering introduction? Talented <laughs> and knowledgeable. I'm so appreciative of that. Thanks, Gabby. You're welcome. Glad to be here. No, yeah, we're excited to have you too. Um, definitely should be a good conversation tonight. We have a lot we want to talk about, so just kind of want to get right into it. And I want to start off with just why don't you tell people a little bit about your sports background, what you're doing now, and kind of how you got into working in sports? Well, so that's, so basically, I'm I'm currently a senior at UMass Amherst, uh, and when I was a freshman, I knew I wanted to get into journalism, uh, and um, I played hockey through high school all my life, and my hockey coach in high school got me a. I thought I wanted to do play-by-play -play back then. And he's like, I I'll get you a gig or like a one-time thing with My Hockey Live, which is a streaming service, it's a good streaming service. And you can do a UMass club game. So I was like, all right. And we had to sell like ads for it. We had to do sales for it. Um, and so th finally the game happened. I don't know how we sold enough for it, but we did. Uh, I don't remember how that exactly worked because I know my sale sales efforts were trash, were terrible. But anyways, um, I got to the game. And it was like nine o'clock on like a Saturday night. And as a freshman, you got to be going out. You want to be going out with everybody. And to say that, you know, to get all dressed up to go call a club hockey game, you're like, oh, I feel kind of weird. Um, but uh, the person I was called the game with was Jimmy Murphy, who at the time was with CLNS. And um, at that time, I'd also had an internship with Kirk and Callahan that next summer. I'd already had it planned. I was like way ahead. I was planning my stuff for the next summer. Uh, but so... Uh, you know, Murph and I called the game. We hit it off pretty well. Um, I was terrible at play-by-play. -play. I realized in that night I was not going to go into play-by-play. -play. Terrible at it. Um, but uh, from then forward, Mur Murph had said to me, you know, if you ever need anything with CLNS or you want any opportunities with Bruins, like, let me know. And I was like, oh, maybe, but I have the Kirk and Callahan thing. That's probably what I'm going to do, but I'll let, you know, whatever. So a few months go by and uh, I don't know if I, I don't think I did anything more for my hockey live. I think that was like it. And then a few months later, Murph said, Hey, like, do you want to live tweet a Bruins playoff game? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, why the hell not? You know? Yeah. Um, so I'd never gift anything. They didn't do gifts before. So I did that for their account. It did really well. Stayed on with them. They were like, Hey, like do the rest of the playoffs. You can write some stuff too. Did that. Um, and then that overlapped into the KNC internship. And those, I kind of did both with Bruins and that. And then slowly but surely with Bruins, like I got to cover some games that next year during the regular season, like when I was home for winter break. Um, we only had one seat on the ninth floor, so I would sit. No one knows this. I sat in the media room for like a lot of that year uh, or when I went to the games, which was always pretty funny because pe people would think like, oh, you're at the game. And I'm like, I am, but I can't see the ice. Yeah, um, yeah. They're like kind of, but not, not really actually watching. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I'm watching on TV just like you guys. Yeah. I'm just at the garden. But yeah. um, so I did that. And then the, the big thing for me was the playoffs of 2019, uh, the Stanley Cup run, because I signed on with EEI to write stuff for them. 
Um, and that gave me a seat on the ninth floor. Um, but I did stuff with them. I did stuff with CLNS. Uh, I did kind of both of those things. And that sort of helped me obviously on Twitter that helped me just grow as in general as a sports, you know, reporter and personalities, so to speak. Um, that helped a lot. And that helped me kind of get more eyeballs on me, I guess, in some ways. And from there, that kind of helped me launch more Bruins stuff and get bigger in that community uh, and that world, so to speak. Um, and then this summer, I was supposed this past summer I was supposed to intern with weei.com like and do more broad stuff, do Patriots, Red Sox, all that stuff. Obviously, it didn't happen because of COVID. But I guess the the you know instead of that, I guess because of COVID, um, I'm interning with Turner Sports this uh, this spring, and it's virtual. So I guess in some ways I ma- that made up for it. Um, and it's fun, and I'm doing that right now. Actually, instead of classes, so I'm doing Turner right now in Bruins. So that's that's my story in four minutes or less. Congratulations on that. That must be an exciting opportunity for you. Well, thank you. It's fun. It's, it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, some, it's, it's, it's cool. Cause it's allocated. Like it, it's an actual shift. It's not like, you know, Bruins, you could be going all night. You could be doing all day. Like you have no idea this yeah. it's like shifts and it's kind of fun to be like, Oh, I'm working eight to four today. And I know I can just sign on at eight and sign off at four. Whereas Bruins and, and covering stuff, as you know, and doing beat reporting is you don't have uh, a time slot. You know, the game starts at seven, but you got to start going, getting ready at like five, six o'clock. You got to leave, you know, you probably won't leave there until a while after. So uh, it's fun to have a allotted time slot. Yeah, exactly. Because you really never know with games either how long those are going to go too, especially if they go to OT and everything oh, yes. else. They have the potential to go really long too. So you really have to plan a big time window when you're working live games. I know how that goes. Yes. Oh, it's no, it's crazy. And uh, yeah, it's fun though. I'm, I'm, it was fun going to Bruins games. Uh, the, the first couple home games it was so fun to be going again and stuff. It's, it was very different, obviously, you know, there weren't fans there. Um, but it was, it was fun to kind of get back in the groove because covering games from home, it just doesn't, doesn't do it for me. I like, I love being there and love, you know, kind of being in the action of it. So uh, I do miss going to games and going to the locker room after, but uh, hopefully those days are coming soon. Yeah, no, that's what we all hope. We hope that this pandemic can kind of come to a resolution soon and there can be more fans at games and things just kind of go more back to normal because it's just not the same watching a game without the fans there. It kind of just takes a little away from a lot of the camaraderie and, and you know, just the environment of the game. The fans are a big part of that. So hopefully things can start to go back to normal relatively soon. But I'm sure it's still cool to be able to be at the games, at least, even even though there's not fans there, even though it's a little bit different, it's probably still still nice to be able to be at the games. Oh, yeah, no, it's awesome. And and the, the, you mentioned the fans not being there. It's weird because they don't have the goal light guy. So when the puck yeah. goes in the net, there's just no goal light. And you're yeah, so used to right. seeing a goal light. And, you know, you're used to fan Like, you can put your head down at, a, at any game. And just by the roar of the crowd, you can kind of tell if there's something big happening, if there's a big hit, if there's a momentum shift. And, like, the Bruins will score, and you're just like, like, oh, oh, oh yeah, they, they like, scored. Like, they, it, takes, it takes them a few minutes to realize they scored. So yeah, exactly. it's pretty weird. You could easily miss it, too. Like, I know, like, I'll be watching a game, and I'll look up, and all of a sudden, somebody will have just scored a goal, and I'll be like, wait, what did I just miss? Like, if I could look at my exactly. goal or something. It's so strange. Yeah. It's so, it's so It's so weird to me. 
Yeah, I know. Well, hopefully things can kind of start to go back to normal over the next few months, we would hope. But at least we have sports. I'm grateful for that, that we have sports. Because I know it was tough, the period of time when sports weren't even on at all. So that was that yes. was really frustrating and a tough time for all of us sports fans, I think, not really having much to watch. and just you can, only, you, you can only watch so many old games. Exactly. I'm sorry. Like the, at the end of the day, like by April, but by, by mid-April, I was so sick of the old game. I was like, I don't care anymore. I know what happened. Yeah. I can watch the highlights. I don't need to watch the whole game. I don't care. I want real sports back, and I'm glad to have them back. Yeah, it's not the same experience watching a game that you already know the result and you already know what happened. Because I don't even like watching games back that I missed live. And have to go and I just check the score or something. I don't like yeah. going back and watching those games really either. Cause it's like if, if I know my team won or, or lost, then it's like, well, what's the point of watching? Because I already know how to send it anyway. Yeah, no, that's the thing. And, and that's why I just don't I've never understood like uh that aspect of it, like watching an old game and like getting into it. Like it's cool, but I can just watch the highlights on YouTube. I probably already watched the highlights. Like like when the when the Nesson played the Bruins playoff run, like obviously it was cool and it was fun, especially when they had the Zoom call and the players reacted. Like that aspect of it was really cool i'll give them that but i personally have already seen the highlights of all of those games a hundred times i i know i don't i'm not in it for the thrill i would much rather just watch the highlights and kind of do all that than watch the game on on and i get why they do do it because fans do tune in it gets ratings like absolutely uh but it is weird because i'm like i don't i know what happened i've seen the highlights it's not yeah. a big a deal to me. I miss hockey. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. I totally agree with you. So we'll see. Hopefully over the next few months, things can restore to normalcy. And that we are going to talk about a lot of hockey today. But first, briefly, we do need to touch on probably the biggest news in Boston sports right now, which is Tom Brady winning his seventh Super Bowl ring, which is, you know, I think a bittersweet feeling for a lot of Patriots fans, me included. I, I was rooting for him. I, I wanted to see him win his seventh ring. And because of everything that he did for the Patriots, I couldn't bring myself to root against him in the Super Bowl. But it was definitely hard also watching him and Gronk go off and just and have two Super Bowl Super Bowl touchdowns between the two of them that is kind of a throwback to Patriots world, Brady to Gronk. And having those two touchdowns, I was like, oh, this is just, just tough to watch. But definitely am happy for him. So I was just curious what your your reaction is and what your thoughts are on that so it's tough I, at the beginning of the year i was a little pessimistic towards brady um not again against him but you know you see him from a non-new england perspective and you're like well the guy's kind of a tool sometimes yeah. um and it's it you know the first couple weeks there i was like this is gonna go so poor down in tampa like this is gonna go badly and it was and it was kind of funny to see him things really not going his way. Like I remember that 38 to three loss to the saints. I was like, Oh my God, this is a failure. Yeah. Um, this is ridiculous. Uh, and then slowly, but surely he turned it around and started to turn it around. And that whole team turned it around. They won like eight in a row or something to end the season or to end the season in general. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it really was like, Oh, that's the same Brady that that's what he did every year here. And you're, you kind of realize like, Oh, it's, it's him. Um, and I did start, I, I really did start to like root for him actively, uh, down the stretch and in the playoffs. Like at the end of the day, I wanted to see him go to the super bowl. It's the best story. Like I, if it was chiefs and Packers and the super bowl, I wouldn't have cared. Like I, I really would have, like, I would watch the game, 
but I wouldn't have cared that much. Like it would have oh Rogers versus Mahomes, so what? And you know Mahomes would have killed uh the Packers and the Packers were lost. But yeah. with Brady of Brady and Mahomes and next gen or versus the GOAT and like that whole aspect of it and you know the New England perspective and the Bill Belichick perspective of like, you know, did the Patriots really mess this up? And on that, you know, I don't ever really get to speak about the Patriots. So this is sort of like my moment to speak about the Patriots. Yeah, that's why I was um, perfect time to do it. Yeah, kept, let me say my piece. Uh, but but no, I think it's funny. Like, I think if Brady had stayed here, um, you know, people obviously see Brady, what Brady did in Tampa and they go, oh, he would have brought them to the Super Bowl. And I think at the same time, like, no, because they weren't willing to put the pieces around him. Like, he would not have had Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Leonard Fournette, uh, uh, Ronald Jones – he would not have had the O line. He wouldn't have had the great, you know, as great a defense because guys were opting out in New England. Like, you wouldn't have had that. Like, maybe you go 10 and 6, 11 and 5, and you get into the playoffs and you're out in the first round or, or the wild card, whatever it is. Fine. But, like, if, if Bill goes out and gets Jimmy Garoppolo this offseason and gets them to the playoffs next year, I'm not going to sit here and say it's overwhelmingly Brady in the Brady versus Bill discussion. But if he goes out and gets Jimmy G and they do nothing, or he goes out and gets and, and drafts, you know, a crappy quarterback or doesn't do anything or gets somebody bad um, and doesn't address the rest of the roster. Like the AFC East is getting is only going to get harder. The Dolphins are good. Uh, the Jet, both the Jets and the Dolphins are in on Deshaun Watson. So one of those two is probably going to get him. The Texans, then, so. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> then you have the Bills who are. Very good. They're going to be good for a while. Good for a while. You know, the Jets also, I read today, are in on Juju Smith-Schuster and uh, Will Fuller. Like, these are not, this is not your parents' AFC, or our AFC East, I guess. It's kind of weird to say. But it isn't the AFC East we're used to. So, I I mean, from the Brady versus Bill perspective, I think Bill has a lot to do. I'm not going to say Bill has to win a Super Bowl next year, because I don't think he does. Uh, But... After the way that Gronk and Brady performed on the national stage, it would look really bad if the Patriots came out next year and had a very similar year to this year, or were worse, or were worse because they were not horror. They weren't horrendous this year. They were just boring, and they weren't anything we're used to. So that's my Patriots minute. Yeah, no, I I think you're right, and this is what I've been preaching for a while with the Patriots is that even if Brady has stayed in New England this year, I do think he would have gotten them to the playoffs just because he's Brady and, and Cam just didn't really have the, that kind of capacity like Brady did. I think they would have gone to the playoffs, maybe snuck in as a wild card. They would not have finished with a losing record, but they would certainly not have gone all the way because he didn't have the weapons regardless. And with the Patriots, there's a lot of pressure on them this offseason because they need a quarterback, but they also need to get um, weapons for whoever that quarterback is. So it doesn't necessarily – whether they draft a quarterback or they or they get a quarterback either by signing Jimmy G or through free agency, they need weapons regardless. So it's definitely going to be a lot of pressure on them this offseason. I think with Bill, when he was watching that game, I hope he kind of realized what he did and, and the mistake that he made. And I am happy for Brady and Gronk. I think that, you know, they – they were on a good team and and Brady just proved that he really is the undisputed goat. So definitely bittersweet feeling for Patriots fans, but but we, we wish him nothing but the best and his next, who knows how long he'll even be playing anymore, but however long it is, we'll see. But Patriots will always still be number one. 
<laughs> oh, also, like, also the other thing is Brady's the goat. I, I don't like yeah. I, even if he lost this game, I don't think there's anyone who's like, oh, now he's not the goat. Like, he's been the goat. Like, th- that's one thing with this where people are like, oh, he's the goat. It's like we know he's the goat. Like, there was never yeah. any. No, I haven't seen anybody credible disputing him being a goat or being the goat, not a goat, but the goat after the six Super Bowls he'd already won. Like, now it's just gravy at this point. It's not yeah. like this. Like, I, I think what made him the greatest of all time was the Falcons Super Bowl. I think that was what got him to that level because the Seahawks one was impressive as hell, but that got him to four, which was tied with Montana. The Falcons one was five, and it was also a 20 to three comeback. And people were like, okay, this guy's the greatest. Yeah. Um, so th- that to me, like, uh, this doesn't do anything in the greatest of all time argument. It's just like, it's gravy. It's something he never done, had never done before. Like, every Super Bowl is a different thing. Um, and this was his first blowout Super Bowl, which was even yeah, crazier. Like the previous, the previous blowout was that boring Rams Super Bowl yeah. in 2018, and that was what 13 to three blowout. Either yeah, it was only a 10 point game, so it was it was a, it was a fourth quarter drive still. So yeah. this was this was different. I would have killed for this for the Patriots. It would have been amazing to sit back and just kind of kick your feet back in a Super Bowl, which we never got to do. But that's neither here nor there. I know. Yeah. Well. We're happy for Brady. Um, he definitely is still not done. I think he has a couple more years, but we'll see what happens this off season. And I definitely appreciate your Patriots input because I know that's you know the talk of the talk of the town in, in the Boston area right now. So definitely exciting. But we will move on to hockey now. I know we will get a lot into the Bruins too, but I know that you do cover some college hockey, which is pretty cool. Also. So I know that UMass this year, they were kind of on a run. They had like a seven-game win streak, and then they lost a couple games, and then they now seem to kind of be back on track with winning. So what are some things with them this year that you feel like are strong for them this year and makes them kind of competitive with other teams? They're deep. That's the biggest thing. They're deep. Um, obviously, you know, a few years ago, they had Kale McCarr, Mario Ferraro. Both have gone on to have really good NHL careers. Obviously, Kale was the Calder Trophy last, winner last year. He's pretty good. Um, but now, you know, they lost John Leonard last year or after last year, who's now with the Sharks organization. They lost Mitchell Chafee. They lost their two biggest offensive scorers. So the question coming into this year was how they're going to get offense. And it's been a scores by committee type thing. Uh, the depth has has kind of carried them. They're really good on defense. They're very, very deep on D. They have four legitimate lines, uh, which is something that they've not always had. They have two really good goalies who would be starters pretty much anywhere else, uh, minus maybe BC. Uh, but they, they are a very deep team. That is, that is their MO. That is what is going to carry them. Fingers crossed that it actually happens through the Hockey East playoffs and through um, the uh, NCAA tournament. Um, but they're right now on pause. All athletics at UMass is on pause due to a huge spike in COVID cases uh, here in Amherst. So it's unfortunate because they were really starting to get going. Because uh, they, as you said, they'd won seven in a row. They'd, uh, they stumbled a little bit uh, against uh, Providence. And they stumbled a little bit against, uh, I believe it was BU. If yeah, memory, sir. It was BU. In a row against BU after the after their win streak. Yes. So those are the two. And then they tied Providence twice. Both games went to a shootout, very low scoring. But then they beat Lowell twice this past weekend. So or two weekends ago. So they they have what it takes. They do. They absolutely have what it takes uh to go to make a run, to go deep. 
Um, cause, cause I think that what sustains them is not like one line scoring, which is something we'll get to with Bruins. It's yes. deep. They are a deep team and they, anybody can score any night and the defense is very solid. They're coached really well. Carvel is probably maybe the best coach in hockey East, definitely yep. in the top three. Um, He's very highly regarded. So his systems, his defensive systems are very good. And then the goaltending, if one guy's not doing well, they throw the other guy in and he does better. So that's what happened in 2019 when Murray started the first playoff game, was bad. They benched him for Lindbergh, came in, and Lindbergh took him to the national championship. So I expect them to make a run. Um, I think they expect to make a real run. So that should be very interesting to see how that all pans out. Yeah, and I know that the Hockey East is, is pretty competitive overall. There are some other good teams there, but it seems like they have a lot of the pieces to be able to be competitive and really make a run this year. And as you said before, depth is super important in hockey. And the fact that they have that, they have a lot going for them. So I guess it's just a matter of just seeing how the rest of the season goes and maintaining some of that positive energy and momentum as they, as they approach, you know, later in the season. Yeah. It's really right now. It's between BC and UMass. Those are the two. And BC has the star power with Spencer Knight um, and the, in UMass has a little bit of the culture and that whole aspect of things. So that, I mean, again, it would have been amazing to see UMass and BC play last year. Um, seeing them play this year will be really cool. I hope that or seeing them play in the playoffs this year would be awesome. Cause I know all teams are supposed to make uh, the hockey East playoffs. So yeah, hopefully that happens. Uh, but yes, uh, the UMass team, uh, very, very, very good and very deep, which is important. Yeah, that's super exciting. Um, and Glad that we were able to hear a little bit about that too, because I know that they have a strong program and UMass sports are in general are, are pretty strong. So I'm sure you're probably excited to see how the rest of their season goes and how everything pans out there. Yes. Oh yes. Very excited. And uh, the football team could use some work, uh, but yeah. uh, everything else is, is, is good. It's, it's funny. It's a really good athletic program and it's, you know, yeah. Ryan Bamford is the AD is very, very good, young, vibrant, like very, into it um the you know they've they've kind of had this uh big push of culture on all the teams they've they've hired coaches who kind of push that culture aspect carvel being kind of the lead guy the women's basketball team uh has been a really good example of that every year they're better and better this year they're very good uh with tori birdie and uh, the basketball teams stumbled at times. They have a young Matt McCall, who's who's a good coach, yeah. um, but they've stumbled. I know UMass basketball Twitter is very active, and they, you know, whenever he's not doing well, they call for him to be fired. But um, they they have a very they have a good mindset with UMass. It's tough because Amherst, it's not Boston, and yeah. Amherst, you know, it's Western Mass. It's like barely even Massachusetts uh, yeah. by this point. So, and it's been weird for someone who grew up near Boston and Metro West growing up. Um, yeah. It, it's it was it's been weird to come out here because uh, you're so far from Boston and everything and like the closest cities is like Springfield or yeah. uh, or like Hartford Connecticut and it's like oh those aren't cities uh, but yeah. but uh, yeah no it's it's a good program and it's a good school yeah well I grew up in Connecticut so I know how that goes but <laughs> city but you definitely go to a good sports school so I'm sure that's exciting and so now we definitely can move on to some. Bruins talk. This is actually a really fun topic to talk about now. So this Bruins team before the season started was a team that there were a lot of question marks around. They lost a couple key players on defense and there's a lot of young talent on the team and not really knowing how they were going to mesh with the veteran players, but they're looking really, really good right now. They've had some really good wins recently. Um, 
pasta being back, I think makes a difference too. And they, they just seem to really be coming together and they, they work hard. And I've been calling them the comeback Kings lately because they seem to be comfortable when they go down three, nothing in games and decide to come back. So what are your thoughts on how the season's gone so far? I mean, it's been way better than I think most people expected. I had said, uh, after all the Chara stuff, the Chara stuff had died down. And I said, you know, I don't have high hopes or high expectations for Zaboral and Lozon on that left side, but I don't think it's ever, it's not going to be as bad as people say it's going to be. Um, and I was almost wrong in saying that because it's been way better. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, when you look, it's funny, the first couple, the first couple weeks, the issues were what you thought the issues were not going to be. The issue was five on five scoring to start. The issue was the right side of Krejci and the right side in general. Um, you know, you had DeBrus go down, you had Kasha go down. Kasha, you don't even know when he's going to come back. Um, and you know, you, it was kind of like a bizarro Bruins world where like Nick Ritchie was carrying the offense and, you know, Jacob Zaboral was stepping up big on defense. This is weird. Like what happened to the Bruins I'm used to, Yeah, but, very strange. but I, yeah, very strange. But, um, as the season's again, taking shape, you're starting to see, uh, everything fit into place a little more, you know, Nick Ritchie, you know, obviously Nick Ritchie mania is fun and it's kind of funny. How everyone turned to love Nick Ritchie, but the truth is he just does his job. Uh, he's nothing special. You're not getting, you know, you didn't pick up Connor McDavid in that deal, but he is a good net front presence on the power play. And I think that that's really kind of all that matters. I mean, five on five, he's not anything great. Like it's, it's obvious to see, you know, there's not a ton to him, but he is great on the power play. He's good in front of the net and digging in corners and good credit, credit him for that. Yeah. Um, but overall, I mean, they've looked really good and, yeah. you know, again, they're beating good teams. You know, those comebacks came against Philly and Washington. Like those yeah, are your two probably, yeah. those are your two biggest rivals right now in yeah. the East. So that's a big deal. It's not like you came back against the Sabres and the Devils. Like you came back against legitimate teams. So there's that aspect of it. Um, on defense, there hasn't been much change except for Grizzly. Clifton will probably come out for Grizzly, I would assume. Um, but I mean, again, Zaboros held up well. He's been protected. His, his, his minutes have been mainly offensive zone starts. And, and, you know, spending a lot of time in the offensive zone, he doesn't, you know, his job is pretty much just like, don't mess up in the defensive zone and just get the puck in other people's hands, which he's good at. So, you know, again, good. I think the real one is Jeremy Lozon. I think the way he's come into his own as like a top pairing left shot defenseman um, has been really uh, beneficial to that team. That is the, that is one of the biggest things. The fact that Lozon is able to, you know, legitimately pair and, and face top opponents with Charlie McAvoy, I think has been one of the biggest things because again, a third pairing defenseman like Zaboral, you can, you can insert him in and out. You can put more in there. If, if, if Zaboral was bad, like it's not that big a deal. Um, but to have a, to have a legit top, uh, four or, you know, top pairing left shot defenseman, I think has been huge. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think it's been, they've looked really good so far. They've definitely exceeded my expectations. And when you were saying at the beginning of the season, they were struggling with what we didn't think they were going to be struggling with. That's exactly right. Because the, the defensive end was what I was mainly concerned about and how how things were going to pan out with that blue line and everything. And I was like, oh, that might be somewhere where they struggle. But with the five-on-five scoring, when I was like, this team just can't put anything in, in regular five-on-five scoring, I don't know what it is, but it's frustrating to watch. And I'd be sitting in front of my TV like, oh, my gosh, like, what is going on here? This is not the same Bruins team we're used to watching. But then, you know, 
they have a lot of momentum now and I am a little bit concerned with the COVID stuff and everything else. And I'm happy that they're able to play tomorrow, but they've had a little bit of a break now. And I think that I'm excited. I'm really optimistic about this team. They, they definitely work hard and it's, it's exciting knowing that you can't count them out of games now. I mean, going down three, nothing. I really thought that those games were over and it happened twice, two games in a row. <laughs> I know it kept happening. And and then unfortunately they lost the first one barely in OT and then come back and win the second one after pasta's amazing hat trick. Um, so thanks to him for, for that. That was exciting too. So it's, it's almost like, do we, maybe we need them to be trailing and then come back and win games because it seems like they have a lot of momentum when they're coming into the third period and they're down. Cause even against Philly, that, that was, they, they came back then and, and uh, and Washington is legit too. So I think that coming into the season, the expectations that we had, they're showing that they can exceed that. And they're showing that a lot of those young players really have the potential to do really big things in this league. Because to me, it was kind of a mix of the veterans and the young guys and what was going to happen with the in-between. How was everybody going to mesh? And was there going to be a good balance between all of those players? And I think that with the window closing on some of the veterans like Krejci and Bergeron even, you know, I think that it's exciting that there's a lot of young talent coming up now that could really establish a good future for the Bruins because we, I had a similar discussion about them before the season started. And we were saying how there could be some frustration for years to come for a little bit of time, just because the veteran players, their windows almost, almost gone. And then there's going to be some rebuilds with the young guys, but the young guys are performing really, really well. So I actually am excited for the future over the next few years. And as, as those veteran players kind of start to reach their end, we have players that we know can come up and, and step into those types of roles already. Yeah. And I think the question really comes down to can a guy like Saboral and Lozon, um, Stadnika, can they hold up, especially Staboral and Lozon, can they hold up in a seven-game playoff series? Can they hold up for two to three months of intensive playoff hockey? Can they Can they do that? Um, we saw Connor Clifton do it in 2019 and kind of jump onto the scene, but obviously you have your reservations with Zaboral. Lozon, I think, will become more of a steady presence. Cassidy loves uh, Lozon. So yeah. I, I think that, you know, that's going to be the big question. Um you know, again, it's it's like 13 games into the season, I think. Yeah, I, I believe or 12. It might be 12 or 13. These games obviously aren't going to matter down the stretch in the next couple months when it's approaching playoff time. But so, yeah, you're right. It's it's that longevity thing, and can they sustain this for the rest of the season? Can they really do that in the playoffs when they're playing all good teams and it's an intense playoff setting and they have to last? for these long series against different teams. And the, and that's that's a big thing, especially for a guy like Jeremy Lozon, because in the playoffs, you know, in those series, you're playing, if you're a guy like Lozon on the top pairing, you're almost playing the same line from the other team almost every shift. Um, you know, you're, you, you know if, if you're playing the Caps, you're playing the Ovechkin line. If it's the Penguins, it's the Crosby line. Um, so that aspect of it is like, can you, can you sustain yourself for four to seven games against the other team's best best line. Um, and I think that's going to be something that, you know, you'll see out of Lozon over the next couple months where he fits into that. Um, but again, you're right. You're hundred percent right that this rebuild, cause it's like another one of these, they had these in 2014 to 16 
another yeah. one of these where it's like they're doing it on the fly. Um, and it looks good so far. It, lo- it looks like it's working. Uh, but again, you know, Stadnika has been out of the lineup. DeBrusque has been out of the lineup. So it'll be interesting to see um, when those guys come back in uh, what ends up happening. Which in a way is promising because they're beating good teams without them right now. So they're showing that they can do it. So it's like, yeah, when they come back, it'll be interesting, I think, to see kind of how things go then and and if they can still maintain this level of play that they're playing now, now that the scoring is, has finally improved. And with Rask, I've seen a lot of mixed feelings on him this season too because some people are like, oh, my gosh, I love I love Rask. He's, he's had an incredible year. And other people are like, well, he's still not reliable. I just don't trust him enough. Do you feel like he's still – somebody that can be reliable for the rest of the season and the postseason. Cause I really do like a lot of what I've seen from him this year. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I think he's, he's hundred percent the guy. Um, yeah. His, his, his numbers this year have not been great. Um, I was looking at some of his more advanced statistics, the high danger save percentages, kind of all those types of numbers weren't great or haven't been great thus far. But again, um, the record's really good. Yeah. He's been huge in overtime. Like in clutch moments in the, in the end of third periods and in overtimes, he's been money. He has been absolutely money. It's, it's weird deflections in the second period. It's, you know, there was that gaming, the first game against the capitals where they came back in, he wasn't that great. in. I kind of thought he might've been injured, but then he looked good in the next game. So it's like, maybe he's not injured. Uh, Maybe it's just an off night, but the thing with Rask, he's, he's your guy. He's the guy he is because you don't have anybody behind him. That's going to get you through a playoff series. Halak, you know, can step in. Halak can step in a lot during the regular season, but he's not your guy in the playoffs. He's also not the future. Neither Rask nor Halak is any, is young. Um, and then Vladar and Swayman and them are way too young for starting time. So all these people claiming they want Rask gone. It's like, well, who do you want instead of him? Yeah, that's you what know? I'm, and it, too. I'm like, well, what do you suggest as a replacement for him then? What, what, why, why do you want? him gone who do you think would be would be better in that position? and the other thing is and, and this is something that it always gets brought up people go well jordan bennington won a cup you know anton Hudobin brought a team to the cup you know you can do this for way cheap and it's like yes but the probability of you picking the right you know guy out of the free agent bucket in the offseason that's going to randomly take you to the stanley cup is so minute it's so yeah. small you know, like you're going to pick up Brian Elliott. He's going to bring you to the Stanley Cup final. Like it's just, it's so like lightning in a bottle with, with guys like that. So Rask is not lightning in a bottle. Rask has taken two teams to, to the final. Now, I know he hasn't won them, but he's taken them there and he's gotten them through that. I know everyone loves to place blame on Rask for, uh, for 2019, especially uh, for the, you know, not beating the blues. Where was the first line in that series? Someone tell me the numbers were trash for that first line in that series. That's why they're not the perfection line because they were so imperfect in that series. That was so so it's, always interesting. it's always interesting to me because it's like in game seven, they scored one goal and it was a Matt Grizzly garbage time goal. It's the most depressing home goal I've ever witnessed in my life. The, yeah. the weirdest, oddest, like the goal, they should have even let the goal horn go off. But the point is I just, I, the Rask hate you can get on him for, you know, the stuff a few years ago. You can get on him for the last game of the 2016 season, whatever. But I, right now, I, th- I don't think there's any reason to worry. And I just don't, I don't see like who is going to come in and, and do better. 
That's what I ask everybody on social media, Twitter especially. That's like, well, we need to get rid of Rask. And it's like, well, who do you propose as an alternative? Who do you realistically see as somebody that could come in and actually fill those shoes? Because, I mean, you're you're right. He's he's shown that he can bring teams to the finals, and he's shown that that he's reliable. And it, it is frustrating to watch especially the last few years, their playoff performances as a whole, but it's nowhere close to just being on him. And it's, it's, there's so many other positions that didn't show up, especially in that 2019 finals run. That, that just, that, that series just hurt. Cause that really, I thought was going to be their year. And they had so much momentum going into that series that I really thought that was going to be their year. And then so many people just didn't perform. Not it just was that layoff. Yeah. Remember that ten the ten game layoff, a ten day yeah. layoff in between uh, the conference final and the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, no, that that definitely was that that was what did it, and and it's momentum is a huge thing in this sport, and if you have breaks like that and you have all this momentum, things can so very easily change, and that's why even with this COVID thing, I worry about this season because even even in twenty twenty we saw the Bruins dominating before the COVID break. They were playing so well and, and they were really heavy favorites to go and, and, and go all the way really last year too. And I thought that they had a good chance last year. Then COVID hit. They had that month, that huge months of months of time off. They came back and they just weren't playing as well. And, and that's, you know, it, it's hard when you have those types of breaks and you come back to maintain the, maintain the same type of momentum you had before. And so I'm hoping that for this season, that the whole COVID situation just kind of gets under wraps and that we don't have these constant issues like we're having now. And luckily this, this little stint that they have here with games being postponed, luckily it was, it's not even going to end up being a full week since they played last before they play tomorrow, which is good for us, but it could be a lot worse with the situation we're in. So I'm just hoping that there aren't enough, there aren't enough issues with COVID this year where they can kind of maintain what they're doing because they are playing some really good hockey right now. And even when people count them out of the, out of games, they'll come back and score a goal and it'll be like, all right. <laughs> it's, it's, fu- it's funny. These games are so boring through the first and second yeah. period. You're like, Oh, you know, random mid season penalties in the first period. And I was like, this is just not a good start for the Bruins. This is so frustrating. And then the Flyers scored one goal in the second period. And I was like, wow, what a thrilling game we're watching right now. But then that third period, everything just got super exciting. Yeah, no, inc- it was incredible. And and that, yeah. this whole run, this little stretch. And it's funny, I, I tweeted this right before the Bruins come back against the Flyers, either the first or second time. But um, I was like, you know, as boring as this game has been, I will take this any day, any day over the hell we went through that was like, you know, no sports from April to uh, July. Remember there was that weird stretch where people were getting obsessed with um, the Korean baseball league. Yeah, well, I don't know if you remember that. Like it was the only like, thing. On. Yeah. Like people would be getting up at like two in the morning to watch a uh, Korean baseball league half yeah. across the world. And yeah. it was like, this is, this is, <laughs> this is crazy. Uh, but like, this is what we've come to right now because this is what, this, want their sports this is what it's gonna be this is what we've come to and and just like the time after the playoffs ended i mean remember there was that stretch from like august to october where every sport was playing like bruins were like nhl was playing nba was playing nfl was playing mlb was playing it was everything all the time and it was amazing and then just gone and then it was all gone after october and it was just nfl yeah. for a while so um it, it i will take 
because three out of those four sports were in playoff time too. So you were yeah. time for hockey, basketball, and baseball. So all those sports coming back at the same time after we had that long break, it was just such a big reward for people for kind of dealing with this few months of not being able to watch anything. Sports were coming back on in the most exciting time to watch them, which was their playoff time for all three of those sports. And then, you know, football was starting and, and there's always obviously a lot of hype around football from beginning of the season through the Super Bowl. Anyways, people were excited for football starting too. And then, you know, like you just said, when when baseball, hockey and basketball all ended and it was just football, it was like, okay, yeah, now we're kind of getting back into a little bit more normalcy because there's always a period of time when it's just football. Yeah, that was the thing. And it's just, it's so nice to have the NBA back and the NHL back. It's tough though to see these postponements because you wonder if the league is going to say, let's just take a two week pause. I don't expect them to do that though. I would expect them to continue to just go. And I think the NFL sort of set the standard for that. Like the NFL, if you remember back at the beginning, had a billion COVID cases. I mean, you had so many weird instances like the Broncos game where the, they had like, you know, the practice squad wide receiver play quarterback. Um, but they just powered through it. They just kind of like, I don't know if it was luck or if everybody just got COVID and then they were like immune to it. Uh, but they just kind of kept powering through it. And I feel like with a lot of these sports, you kind of just have to accept that like, this is going to happen. Um, I also think the NHL has the right idea by only playing the people in your division and just completely realigning everything. Yeah. The, the, I don't know why. I don't know. And how that whole situation is, is kind of, I, I don't know why the Celtics are traveling to golden state or to yeah. LA. I don't understand the reasoning behind it. Like I, I, and granted, like, I don't think anybody to any team wants to go to Florida right now, but if you're near it, like, sorry, but, um, I, I, I do think that everything should be localized, um, uh, cause bubbles you can't do because again, bubbles are great for COVID, but horrendous for mental health. And like, these guys have families and they have lives that they'd like to kind of live. And the bubbles don't allow for that. Now the bubbles were fine when you had to just bang out the end of a season, but yeah. now you're in a season. So bubbles aren't going to work. So you just have to kind of like, you know, maybe this is unpopular, but you just got to grind through it. You know, like you just have to be as careful as you can and you just have to power through. It sucks. It blows the, the coyotes and the, um, the blues are playing seven straight games. Imagine, imagine being a blues fan and having to watch your team play the coyotes seven straight games times oh i know crap i can't i couldn't do it i couldn't do it but so but but again you just have to keep powering through it that's gonna be just forge ahead even two in a row is plenty for me even the two in a row i'm like oh yeah oh yeah and now we have to watch them play the same team again even the two in a row is a little repetitive for me but it again i do like the idea of how they're handling it and i think that this is the best way to do it and i think the nba probably should have done something similar and when i first saw the format of how everything was going to be set up i was a little bit skeptical and i was like oh is that going to take away from some of the competitive aspect and the exciting part of the game but i really haven't found that it does there's a lot of competitive teams in the bruins division so it's really exciting actually to watch them play a lot of those teams yeah. Oh yeah. No, I mean, again, you don't have the Maple Leafs of the Canadians, but you do have the Flyers, you have the Penguins, you have the Capitals, you have teams that, that, and again, rivalries are created, you know, like, like the, a few years ago, um, you know, let's say pre 2013, the Maple Leafs Bruins rivalry was not big. It just kind of created itself. Yeah. Uh, prior to 2015, 2016, the lightning Bruins rivalry was not a rivalry even after the conference final. Cause they only met once, Yeah. but now it, then it became a rivalry. So again, 
these, you know, Bruins Flyers, Bruins Capitals, Bruins Penguins could easily become rivalries. So yeah. I think that can that can just kind of happen. And again, playing teams twice in a row, you get that in the second game, especially you as you're yeah. now. Because it's like you have a team win, and then you can tell usually every time this happens that in the second game, the other team kind of comes out with a different kind of firepower than they did in the first game because nobody wants to get swept in the two-game series either. So they, they'll come out, and it's, it's usually a completely different game from one game to the next, even though they're playing the same team. And that's, the, that's the, been the cool thing about it, I think. And even with the Bruins, they come out and they play the same team two games in a row, but the way that the game is played ends up being completely different from the last game, almost as if they're not playing the same team. Yeah, and that's the fun part is that it's different. And and again, it's just it's nice to have hockey back. It's really That's really what it comes down to. Uh, I will – like – as we talked about, like I would watch, I would watch the Bruins play my high school team um, if it meant watching live hockey. But but yes, the games are different from game to game. Teams do different things. Um, obviously, it's easy to pick up on stuff after one game. So um, and it's also nice, for, as I said, the rivalries. You know, Trent Frederick and Tom Wilson's a perfect example of that. Um, you know, after one game that wouldn't happen. After two, it did. So uh, things like that are very exciting as well. Yeah. No. No. It definitely is. They they have the Rangers the next two games tomorrow and Friday. What are you looking for from that, from, from that series? What do you think are going to be the keys for those two games? Score a ton. Uh, the Rangers are terrible defensively. They're, they're, you know, have had real troubles around their own net yeah. score. Like this is where you just get point nights. This is where you guys grow their confidence. If DeBrusque returns for, for these games, he says he feels healthy and all these are where DeBrusque can kind of, Flip the switch on his season, you know, do a complete 180 um, with his game. Uh, you know, guys in the lineup who have, you know, the David Krejci, the second line. This is where you kind of maybe find your stride. DeBrusque returns. Do you keep Nick Ritchie there? Do you put Kuhlman there? Like, what do you do? This is where you sort of try to gain some chemistry. Um, not to say these games are easy because after I just said that, now they're going to be really hard. But, um, but uh, this is where you, you just, explode offensively and this is where you just kind of you know put up a lot of points it's point night um and that's what needs to happen is what this team needs every team needs and you know a team like this where they can hang you know six goals on um again it might not be that way you know the rangers might tighten it up the bruins might be terrible on offense uh but at the same time i do think that this is what i'm looking for and i think what they're looking for is you know go in there and and let guys get hot, you know, guys build their confidence and, and kind of go that route. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. That's, that's exactly what I was going to say too, that scoring is going to be a key because if they put up a lot of, if they put up a lot of points, then I really don't see the Rangers being able to stop that and actually realistically compete in these games. So these, this is their opportunity for some of these players to step up on this on the offensive end and and really show that they can put up a lot of points per night because you know they i mean they they've had a couple games where they have put up a lot of points and those are though that's the type of bruins team that needs to show up for these next couple games if they really if they want to win these games and we know that they have people that can score it's just a matter of doing that and not slipping back into the ways of not being able to score in regular five on five shooting Yes, and that's the that's where the Jake DeBrusque stuff comes in. Like DeBrusque yeah. was doing nothing when he was in the lineup um, to start yeah, the season, and there, but not really being productive at all. Yeah, and also for a guy like Charlie Coyle as well. Like Coyle, you know, again, people expect him to be the next second line center with the money he's making with Krejci, uh with Krejci's deal being up after this year, and it's like 
the, the, the play is there. The, the, the offensive zone time is there. The production is not. So it's games like this. It's games like this where you come through with a two to three point night. Uh, if you're Krejci, if you're Coyle, if you're DeBrusque, and that kind of can turn everything around. That can be a big turning point for, for their lines. Maybe another hat trick from Hasta. I'm just kidding. Oh, yes. That'll yeah. happen. Somehow that'll happen. He'll steal yeah. the scoring. He'll, he'll find a way to do it. Yeah, I'm excited. Though. I think it, it should be fun. We have a question from the uh, crowd here that came up recently that I'm putting up here. How did you feel after Tara left? For me, I personally felt very, first of all, concerned about the state of the team on defense after he left, but also it was emotional. And especially when they played that game and he came and scored a goal in that game for Washington. I was like, my heart just hurt a little bit just watching him score that goal. That was perfect. I loved that. I loved every second of it. Um, I, you know, I, obviously it sucked to see him go. It was really unfortunate to see how he left and how it wasn't like no one knew it was the last time that Chara was on the ice for the Bruins. And it was like, it just happened here. Like he wanted Chara to retire a Bruin and like his final game to be like a big standing ovation. And it'd be, you know, a nice event for him or something, but he'll get that at some point. I, I don't doubt that. Um, at the time, I said the Bruins are screwed. They've done nothing to improve the left side. They're going to have Jacob Zaboral there. They're going to have, you know, Jeremy Lozon and John Moore, and it's going to be just a mediocre team, and it's just not going to be good. And, you know, you're wasting years of this core. You're wasting years of Krejci and Bergeron and Rask and Marshawn and, you know, and, and all that. And you lost Krug as well, which I was fine with, but, like, you had to improve, and they never did. Yeah. But – Turns out it's worked out fairly well. Again, like the, the D Fluto Shinzao wrote a piece about this like two weeks ago or a week ago um, about how the Bruins defensive advanced stats have actually been better this year. Um, and they've been better in their own zone. Cause there's, you know, there's, you can, you can do more with foot speed. Obviously with Char, Char was slow. That like, that was the worst kept secret anywhere. Char is very slow. Um, yeah. It was all, it was all about his stick. And it worked for a while, but now you have a bunch of guys who can skate and who actually, you know, have foot speed and stuff. And so you can base defense around that, which is a little bit, a little bit easier. Um, and you can leave the net front more and all that stuff. Ironically enough, the Capitals have also seen a big improvement. It's worked out for them with Chara. So, and Fluto wrote this and I agree, both sides ended up kind of, it worked out for both. You know, Chara's actually done well with the Capitals. They're putting him on the power play, which is just yeah. nuts. Like <laughs> that is wild. Yeah. That is crazy to put him on the power play, but whatever you do, you Washington. Um, <laughs> but it's worked up. That was weird. It, to yeah. It's, it stunk to see him go. It did. I mean, I grew up loving the guy, um, yeah. but it's, it's fortunately for both sides. It's actually worked out pretty well. Yeah. I, I, when you say that you thought they were screwed, that was my exact reaction too. Cause right after he left, I did a show on the Bruins and this exact same point was brought up that was like, well, they haven't done anything to improve that side. So what are they realistically going to do? You know, that this defense is really going to struggle this year. And it's crazy to look at their numbers this year that they put up and it's like, well, they really didn't miss a beat and it really doesn't seem like there's a hole there. And they, they actually are playing really, really good defense this year. They are. It's funny. I was talking about this on Bruins beat last week. And I was like, do, do the Bruins, have you noticed Chara being gone? Have you noticed Krug being gone? And the answer is no. Like yeah. you really haven't. You haven't. Girls accepted on the power play, which we all kind of assumed. And that's why I wasn't like dying for the Bruins to hand Krug a seven year deal because of something like that. Um, and uh, again, I wanted Krug to get his money. 
Like, that's why I wasn't like, I wanted Krug to get all the money he could possibly get. He's a great guy. He's worked his butt off. He's, you know, overcome everything. But for the. Oh. The fact that they almost, sorry about that. The fact that they almost went out and got Oliver Ekman Larson made no sense to me. That was like one of those, like, what are you doing? Deals. Yeah. Um, yeah, but me too. I was sitting there. Going, what, what is the thought process behind this? Like, if you're going to do that, just pay Krug. Why, like, why, are, why would you want nine and a half? Why would you want to pay a nine and a half for an aging, like not very great, not worth at all. 9.5 million left shot defenseman. Like I just so didn't make any sense to me. Like it really was not, I was sitting there and I was like, this really is not an upgrade to me. Why don't you just give Krug the money and just keep him? Exactly. You actually end up saving money, but, um, at any rate, it, it you haven't noticed it. You you haven't noticed, and uh, I th- you know again I do I still think at the deadline they should acquire a left shot defenseman. I think that that would be good. Um, it you know it's going to be tough. You know who's available, the COVID restrictions, all that stuff. But I think they should. I think they really should at the deadline try to acquire that. Yeah, I agree too. I think that would make a big difference, and I I, I still really like what I'm seeing from them. And we did have another comment here that's a good point, saying that they're winning. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, they are. That is a good point, though, because that's always something that we know that they've struggled with. Ed's right. No, Ed's 100 right. Um, Last year they were they were god awful at shootouts. Remember the season started with or this the year started with Brad Marchand missing the puck uh, in Philly. It ended. Uh, I, no, it wasn't 2020. It was 2021, obviously, but it was in January. It was almost a year later where he scored the winning goal against Philadelphia in the shootout. Um, yeah. so, or it, yeah, it was in a shootout. It was overtime. Yeah. He had a winning goal against them. And I, cause I remember being like, oh my God, just a year later, this happened. So yes, yeah. winning shootouts again. Um, that's proven that has been important for them this year too. Cause they've had so many games that have, that have not ended in regulation either. Yes. Oh yes. So yeah, that's a really good point too. I figured I, I would flag that comment because when I was reading that, I was like, yeah, that's actually a really important thing too, because we know how terrible they've been with shootouts. So I'm glad that they, they obviously figured something out there. And, and as a consequence of that, it was the five on five that suffered, but now they're, they're finally seeming to get everything back together. So I'm excited for the rest of the season though. I really do think that it's going to be a good rest of the season for them. And I look forward to just seeing what happens when they get some of these other guys back and, and them being worked into the mix and just continuing to hopefully maintain this energy and momentum. Cause I really, really like what I've seen. I agree. I'm interested to see it. I'm excited to see it and uh, see how it all goes down. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, thank you again. I definitely appreciate you being on the show with me tonight. Thanks everybody again for listening as always, especially everybody that tunes in every week. I really, really do appreciate you guys and your constant support of Boston Balling. This episode, you know where it will be. It's on all podcast streaming platforms. You can subscribe to Boston Balling that way, or you can subscribe to the show on any social media. You can follow it on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of that fun jazz. And so everybody, I hope you have a good rest of your Tuesday night. That concludes tonight's episode of Boston Balling. I'll see you all next time and have a great rest of your week. Happy Tuesday, everyone.